praise indeed. I'd like to direct your attention to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you're using the Bibles in the seat back in front of you, it's on page 473. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We'll be taking a break this week. Uh, Pastor McGee has been going through a number of parables. He'll be back again next week to resume that series with some more parables. Uh, But today we'll be looking at this uh, passage that I love from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 where we consider how how do we live faithfully uh, in this day and age where there our circumstances and the events of our lives are seemingly so chaotic and, and out of control. How, how do we glorify the Lord in the midst of that? And I believe that Ecclesiastes 3 gives us some hints to that very fact. So here now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure And all his toil, this is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. So ends the reading of God's Word. And what do we know about God's Word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Oh, indeed, our God, this is Your Word. And we ask for Your blessing on it. Speak to us words of truth. Focus our eyes on Christ, even through the lips of this sinful and weak preacher. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Author J.R.R. Tolkien is best known for his fictional masterpiece, The Lord of the Rings Trilogy. But while he was reading The Lord of the Rings, he wrote a lesser-known short story by the title of Leaf by Niggle. It's a story of a painter named Niggle who, has, who is working on this, this glorious masterpiece that he has in his mind. Uh, and uh, Now, 
in case you don't know, a niggle uh, is a term for somebody who focuses excessively on details. And such was the case with the character in this story. He, he was known as one who could paint leaves much better than trees. And this, this picture in his mind starts with a single leaf, but then it grows to multiple leaves, and then branches, and then this tree, and then he sees the birds nesting in the tree, and then he sees this beautiful country mat, uh, background. And he wants to paint this, this painting. He, he begins painting this painting. And all the while, he's, he's anxious to complete it because he, he is aware of this coming journey that he must take, uh, referring to his death. And so he, he begins working on this painting, and because he was so focused on details, he begins by painting this, this single leaf, and he focuses on the outline, and then, and then it's sheen, and then, and then the dew drops, and he realizes he's spending way too much time on this, this single leaf. He's trying to get it exactly perfect. So he, he musters up some self-control, and he begins expanding, and he says, I need, need to get on and on. But as he continues, he's frustrated because he's met by these, these interruptions, his neighbor comes by and, and, and asks him, pleads with him, can you help me patch my roof because this storm is coming in and I've got this, uh, this leg that I can't get up on my roof. And, and in addition, my wife, she is ill. Can you call a doctor for me? And Niggle's a kind man, so he, he obliges. He goes off and he, he calls a builder to fix the roof and he calls a doctor to, for the wife. But in the process, he gets caught in a storm. And when he gets back, he's so ill, he can't, he can't work on his painting, so he must rest and recover. But he's frustrated because he wants to get back to his painting. He wants, to, he wants to flush it all out. And finally, he's recovered back to health, and he's about to get started when there's a knock at the door, and it's an inspector who, who says, well, the builder never showed up to your neighbor's house. You must go over and fix the roof. And he's arguing with the inspector when there's another knock at the door, and it's the driver for his, his journey, and he must leave on his journey, having never completed that painting that was in his mind. And friends, I think that picture is reflective of the experience that we have. Very few of us are painters or artists, but I think there's a little bit of niggle in each one of us. We have in our minds a picture of perfection, a picture of the way things ought to be, whether it's with our, our relationships uh, we're, we're seeking for a perfect friendship relationship or with our spouses or with our children or in the workplace. Or um, perhaps we're, we're, we're looking for a meaning in the things that we do in, in the workplace or the right ministries in, in the church where we can, we can serve and make a big impact and, and use the gifts the Lord's given us for His glory. Or maybe it's just in the, the circumstances of our culture. We we, we look for the right political candidate or, or figure out the way that the church can best interact in our culture in order to make the circumstances fit with that perfection that we have in our mind. And yet, we're constantly frustrated. It seems like that perfection is always out of arm's reach. It's like we're at a, at a race against time to try to make sense out of this world, to try to make things right but we're just, we're, it's always a few steps away. The, the friendships that we have tend to disappoint us when we're looking for that intimacy. The, the, the work that we do is bogged down with the trivial and the main, mundane and, or people forget about the things that we do or they don't appreciate them or uh, culture just doesn't meet our expectations. Well, it's in the midst of that frustration, friends, that 
the Lord speaks to us from the book of Ecclesiastes, and particularly our passage in Ecclesiastes 3. What, what the writer to Ecclesiastes shows us is that that, that quest, that, that longing for perfection is a real one, and it's a good one. But our frustration lies in the fact that we are looking for that perfection that it only comes beyond eternity, in, in eternity, beyond glory. And on this side of glory, we're, we're, we cannot, we will not ever taste that perfection. And so what we'll see is because the Lord has set eternity in our hearts, He has put that desire, that longing in our hearts, we must fix our eyes on Christ who is seated in eternity, long for His coming, and learn to live with joy and gladness in the here and now. So our passage today in Ecclesiastes 3 comes in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a short book, part of the poetry and wisdom section of Scripture, along with Psalms and Proverbs, Song of Songs. And Ecclesiastes is a book that I, I love. It's a short book of 12 chapters, but it's, I love it because it is so real and it's, it, 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 it captures our human experience and the quest that we all seem to have for meaning in this life in a way that other books don't quite ha seem to have. Uh, it's written by somebody who is characterized as the preacher or the teacher, possibly Solomon, the king uh, or son of David. Uh, and he, he is making a quest to find out meaning of life and under what he calls under the sun, meaning from his own experience. Um, and, and he looks for uh, meaning in, in lots of different ways, ways that we would, uh, through, through being wise and seeking wisdom, through self-indulgence, by giving himself everything that he would ever want, uh, by living wisely, through work and labor, through wealth, through honor and recognition. And yet, as he's, as he's seeking these things, he's constantly frustrated. He's finding that everything's meaningless. Everything, there's, everything's vanity. Vanity, vanity, he says all over. You know, there, there's no point. These things keep happening over and over, and, and there's no real satisfaction in this. Uh, he, he senses that there's some meaning to his experience, but it's just, it's just beyond his grasp, and, and he, can't, he can't get it in this life. And he comes to the conclusion at the end of the book where he says, the sum of the matter is this, fear God and keep His commandments. And this is the whole duty of man. And it's in the, it's in the midst of this quest where the, the preacher or the teacher uh, tries to find meaning in the times and circumstances and the chaos of his life. Uh, he begins the passage with uh, talking about there's a time and a season for every matter under heaven. And he, he goes through this long list uh, that kind of seems to follow a few patterns. There's, there's a time for beginnings and endings. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. And so on and so forth. There's, there's a time for um, creating. And there's a time for destroying. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. And there's also times on either side of human relationships and experiences in our relationships. So there's a time to weep. And a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to love, and a time to hate, and a time for war, and a time for peace. 
And his list seems to be representative of the whole of our experience. Not, not an exhaustive list, but a good representative list. And, and it, it follows this kind of chaotic and, and random order. Uh, and, and, and so do our lives. The, these things seem to come and go uh, at, at a whim. One, one moment we're happy, one minute, moment we're in love, and the next moment we're, we're feeling these feelings of hatred or feeling discarded. Or one moment our country is at peace, and the next, you know, we're in this chaos of, of war, you know, internal or abroad or, or whatnot. There's, there's the, just this ebb and flow, these ups and downs of, of life that seem to, to happen without any rhyme or reason. And then the teacher responds with, a fairly human response. He says, uh, well, what gain has the worker from his toil? Now, when he says worker, don't think about well, you know, what's your job, worker, but think of it as you know, the, the worker, the one who does something. So everybody. So uh, in other words, what, what gain do we have from doing anything? You know, what, what's, the, what's the point of what we're doing? Uh, you know, if, if, of all these experiences, all, all, this, all this life stuff is, is so chaotic and out of our control, what's the point? Uh, what, why, why, do we even, why do we even bother? And what a human response. What, what a natural response. Um, it, things feeling so uh, out of control, and there's something obscenely disarming from the fact that when we recognize how out of control we really are in the midst of life. How, how much these experiences, our, our life experience, our day-to-day and even year-to-year experience is out of our control. There's, and d- despite what you might read on the internet, there's no, there's no formula for financial success or workplace success or parenting success or, or even, you know, as we might talk in the church, for evangelistic success. We don't know how things work. You know, we, we're, we, we walk day by day, but the, the results are out of our hands. And I think that's hard for us. We want that control because we want to be able to control the outcome of our life. We want the right circumstances of our life now. Or at least we want the, the right results. Um, we want to know that it turns out right in the end. And when we recognize that we're out of control, the only way we can turn is to trust. To trust someone. Um, but when we can't trust, we fear. Because w- what else can we do? And when we do trust but we don't like the results, we get angry. But it's exactly this trust that the teacher kind of moves us in the, the direction of that. He says, he says in verse 10, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And then jumping ahead to verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. We struggle because we are the ones that are not in control. We want that control and we don't want to have to trust. But the, but the preacher te- leans us to God is the one who is in control. He is the one that's sovereignly in control and that he is the one that we must trust. But uh, 
it's, it's, so, it's so hard. He, it says here, um, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. As though he's saying, God is doing all these things, and, and even though we're called to experience it, he, he doesn't give us the picture of how it's going to work in day in and day out. And, and so we struggle with that. And I think some of us would be okay if, if we could say, okay, Lord, you know, just, just show me Show me how this is going to work out. You know, I, I lost my job, and I'm struggling with being out of a job. Show me that this is going to result in my sanctification. Show me that this is going to make me more dependent upon you. Show me that I get that job at the end, and it's better off than the job I had before. But we, we don't have that visibility. And to be honest, probably even if we had that visibility, we probably wouldn't be content with that either unless the results at the end of the day were, were the results that we wanted. Uh, and so we're, we're frustrated with that. Um, and, and the results elude us. So the, the question for us is, how, how, how can we function in, in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this frustration? Well, I think we get a hint of that when we look at how Christ handled this as well. Christ being the Almighty God, the one who dwelt in perfection became a man. And he, he, even though he was omniscient, knew all things, he became a man and somehow limited his, his knowledge as a man at the same time. He was both sovereignly in control of the universe and at the same time subject to the providential outworkings of God's plan. And you see this in his life on earth. He's, he's frustrated uh, with his disciples. He, he tells with the, the lack of faith. And he tells them, no one knows the day or the hour. Not, not even the sun. I don't, I don't even know the day or the, the, the hour when the sun will return. He, he weeps when his, his friend is, is, dies. His friend Lazarus. He, 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 uh, he prays in the garden. You know, asking God, you know, Lord, if there's any other way uh, than me going to the cross. If there's any other way than this, this terrible path that I must take, Lord, please make it happen. And so he's, he wrestles with that chaos. And yet at the same time, his response is complete and total trust. Even as he says, Lord, if there's any other way, he says, but, but not my will, Lord. Your, your will be done. Um, and and, and, how, and when he suffers, uh, Scripture says he, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He trusted God fully. And I think he could do that because he understood, while he may not have known as a man the day-to-day circumstances of his life exactly, he understood the broad picture. He understood the full picture. He understood that God was going to rescue His people for, him, for Himself. He was going to guard and de- defend them. He was going to preserve them to the end. He was going to pr- bring them safely to eternity, uh, into His eternal kingdom. And he, he knew this because he was a student of Scripture. And God had revealed these things to him in Scripture. And he also understood that he was the plan that God had laid out from the beginning. He, no doubt his mother had told him that your very name, Jesus, means that you will save your people from their sins. 
He knew he was the good shepherd who would lay down his life. He knew he was Isaiah's suffering servant. And he knew that he was the son of David who would one day sit on his father's throne. So how he didn't, he didn't know exactly how it would work out. He understood the broad plan that it would work out in the end because God had revealed that to him. My friends, God has revealed the same thing to us. He has given us that big picture view. He has, he has shown us that He sent His Son to die for us, to live and die, to be buried, to be raised to new life, to deliver us out of this imperfection and into His eternal kingdom forever and ever. He has revealed to us that we are His special treasured possession for which He gave His life. That nothing can snatch us out of His hand, no matter what the circumstances. He has revealed to us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The question is, do we believe it? Do we believe it on a day-in, day-out basis when the chaos of our lives happens and the results that we want aren't there. He says, the preacher says here that in verse 14, he says, um, God does whatever He wants. Whatever it does endures forever. Nothing can be added. Nothing taken away. God has done it so that people fear before Him. And I think that's an important aspect that we need to capture here. God has done this so that we would fear Him, so that we would revere Him, so we would trust in Him. I think we have a tendency to forget who God is and who we are. Remember, this is all His creation. He is His identity. His glory is at stake with the way this creation works itself out. The circumstances of life, even how the life of the church works out, His reputation is at stake. He is glorifying Himself through these things. He is the one that is sovereignly in control. He is the Master, the Creator. And we are the servants, the creation. And I wonder when we get angry or we get anxious, do we flip those roles and we say, no, God, I am the Master. And You are the servant. And You better do things the way that I want. I am tired of this life and the way that it's working out. Do it my way. And we flip those roles. And we get anxious and stressed out because it's just not the way that we want it. Is that you? Are you frustrated by your lack of control? Are you frustrated by the fact that things just don't measure up to that picture of perfection in your head? If so, friends, we must fall on our knees and repent of our sins before our gracious and merciful God and say, Lord, forgive me. You are God. And I trust You to do far more than I could ever ask or imagine. The words of Psalm 131 have to be the refrain of our hearts, which say, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, nor my eyes raised too high. I do not occupy myself with anything that is far too wonderful 
for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time and forevermore. We must trust Him. We must trust Him fully. He is faithful and true and He will never let us down. But I think part of that problem, part of the problem with this trust is it comes down to our expectations. Our expectations of the way things ought to work. We have that picture in our head like niggle that we're trying to work out. Uh, we, want, we expect to have the best things. We expect to have comfortable lives. We expect to have people like us. We want the love and service that we do to be appreciated. When we do the right things, we expect to get the right results. And when things aren't right, we expect, doggone it, we can work hard, we can fix it, and it will all work out in the end. But unless your experience is dramatically different from mine, life just doesn't work that way. Does it? Because there, there is weeping <laughs> in addition to laughing. There is hate in addition to love. There is war in, in addition to peace. The bad comes along with the good. God frustrates our plans and He defies our expectations. But then the preacher says this in verse 11. says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's made everything beautiful in its time. So he's saying that while we can't stand these, these experiences in our life, when we get frustrated with the way the culture is going, with the way that our lives are going, with the dryness of our spiritual lives, with, with, with just the ache that we have, these things are beautiful. We're frustrated, but Scripture declares them beautiful. It's as if he's saying in the right time, in the right place, all these things are beautiful. We, we, we rejoice easily at the birth of a new child. But Psalms tells us beautiful in the eyes of the Lord is the death of His saints. We love to rejoice and be happy. But Scripture says rejoice or mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. And we love to feel love and affection. But Scripture also says it is good to hate evil. To hate evil. There is a time and a place for each one of these things. And so it is beautiful in its time. And so all these circumstances in the appropriate context are appropriate at that time. And the flip would be just as inappropriate. But it doesn't feel beautiful, does it? It doesn't feel good to weep. It doesn't feel good to hate or to be hated. It doesn't feel good to be shunned. And I think it doesn't feel good because it's terrible. It really is terrible. He says that it's beautiful. And it's beautiful in the context where it is in this life, in these circumstances that we are in. But they're, ter but they're terrible circumstances. We weren't created for this. We were created, as our children's catechism says, holy and happy, with everything great, all those good things that we want. Constantly, that's what Adam and Eve had in the garden. But our sin, our sin thrust this on us. Our th sin thrust the weeping and the hatred and the pain and the sickness and the death. All of that's there as a result of the fall. And it's terrible. And it's not right. Oh, but friends, 
our God has promised us something much better than that. For you know how the story ends. <laughs> you, you know what it says in, in Revelation where it says this, if I can get there. It says that we have a, a, a time where, where Christ will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. These things are terrible. And they're coming to an end. Praise be to God. And I think that's what's going on in our hearts. He says, he says this. He says, also, He has put eternity into man's hearts. That frustration that we feel. That frustration is that this is not right. These broken relationships are not right. The things going on in our world, this hatred, this war, this pain, these sicknesses are not right. And we long for something so much more, so much greater. But we want it now, don't we? We don't want to wait. We don't, yes, eternity, great, but I want it now. How can I usher it in now? And so I'll do everything I can. I'll scramble. I'll get frustrated at the way things are. I'll fight. I'll get anxious. I'll, I'll try to rally things together to usher in Christ's kingdom in the here and now. And friends, it just doesn't happen because God has frustrated these things as a result of the fall. And so we're restless and we're impatient and we're trying to bring that in now. And like Niggle, we have that picture. I mean, consider relationships. Every single one of us longs for that intimacy that comes with knowing and being known by another person. From being able to reveal yourself to them without fear of shame or embarrassment and a true connection. But then why is marriage so difficult? You have, you have two people who desperately love each other that are coming together and want to share their lives with one another. Why, why is it so hard? It should be so easy. Or parenting. Why, you know, we, we love our kids. Our kids look up to us. Why is it such a challenge? You know, or why having transparent community in the midst of the church? We're all believers. We all have the Spirit of Christ. Why do we struggle with that? Why is it always hard? It's because it's the sin that's in our hearts and our sins rub up against one another. We're, we're caught in this state where we're being sanctified, but we're just not there yet. Or take, take prayer. Honestly, prayer is so difficult for so many of us. And, and why? What's the question people always ask? What point does prayer make? Does it really do anything? And right here it says, you know, God does whatever He pleases. Whatever He does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it or nothing taken from it. So what's the point? Or sometimes we do pray and we say, you know, Lord, heal this person. And, you know, we pray for months and nothing happens. So are we wasting our time? Or we, we lament the state of the country. And, and week after week we pray, Father, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And yet we look... And there's plenty going on that is clearly outside of His revealed will. You know, what's going on? Or our individual relationship with the Lord. We you know, we know, we, we long for that closeness with our Lord. And yet our prayer lives, if we have them, are cold. 
or we, we, we get into a reading plan, and if we're lucky, and yet we struggle, or we, we have hard parts where we go through Scripture, and it's like, or we're, we're in the struggles of our life, and we know we should be trusting in the Lord. We know we should be resting on what Christ has done, and yet it's just, it's hard. How, how do, what's, what's going on? We, we ache. We ache for the way things ought to be, and yet it's just seemingly so, so out of grasp. And what we're aching for is we're aching for every one of those things to be made perfect. We've got that picture, and that picture is out there, but that picture is in eternity with with our God. Our our King has come and set us free to to drag us into that kingdom so we can enjoy it forever. Can, can Can you imagine it for just a minute? Imagine the relationships that we will have. We will be there. We will see one another. We will, we will be able to enjoy the, the community, the, the profound depth of community from all the believers of all the time gathering together daily to, to, to worship our God, to, to grow together in our knowledge of Him and our knowledge of one another, knowing Him and being fully known uh, without any shame, without any any inhibitions, or our prayers, all, all of our prayers that we, we have uttered, all the prayers that have been uttered throughout all creation, done, done according to His will, we will see answered yes and amen. Every, every person healed. No more sickness. You know, the, the ones that have, have struggled with, with, with their legs will leap for joy. The ones that have struggled with seeing will, will, will gaze upon Christ perfectly. There will there'll be no more fear of cancer or dying, or any such thing. We'll see God's perfect justice rolled into creation as He conquers all the sin first in our hearts and casts that as far as the east is from the west and then destroying all sin, all temptation, all all evil, all wickedness, all enemies, gone forever so that there is perfect justice and nothing to fear. Nothing to doubt, but to just enjoy God forever. And our personal relationships. Oh, friends. Oh, friends. Can you imagine for all eternity, day after day, new, new mercies we will see. There will not be a disappointing day. For we will every day be able to sit at the feet of our gracious Savior and see the nail hands the nails in his hand, and look into the eyes that loved us to, enough to leave this perfection for us, for the ones who hated him, to die for our sins and to bring us into this blessed estate, and to, to look into his eyes, growing daily in our love and knowledge and admiration and worship of him, and to see him delight himself in us. In you, your Savior, delighting in you forever. Oh, friends, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Far more abundantly great than we could ever ask or, or imagine. And that's what awaits us. And I don't even have the words to describe the reality. And you don't have the imagination to describe it. The things that we see, this picture in our head, even when we fantasize how wonderful it will be, is just a faint shadow. 
far more abundantly than we could ask or imagine. And yet, right now we're on this side of glory, aren't we? we we're still caught where we're dreaming of this, of this time to come. So what are we to do in the here and now? Well, I've already mentioned there are some, many of us, who uh, we're, we're all impatient for it. We all want it now. But some of us are trying to usher in that perfection now. We're, we're working out our, our lives in such a way that we're, we're frustrated and we're, we're spending our time being anxious and worked up because it's just not getting right. And we have this bad expectation that we can do that. And then there's others that say, well, there's really no point because you know God does whatever He pleases and I should just eat, drink, and be merry because I've just got to hold on until, until the Lord takes me home. And friends, devout believers, sincere believers, hold on to both of those pictures. But let me, let me offer for you a third way which I think is supported by our text here, starting in verse 12. He says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Three things. We should be joyful. We should do good. And we should take pleasure in all that we do. First, we should be joyful. How can we be joyful in the midst of all this? Well, friends, that list, the times and the seasons, they're not all bad. God, has, God is already at work. God has given us so many blessings that we can rejoice in even now. Things are not as bad as they could be. There are profoundly deep relationships. People are restored to one another. Change does happen. We do have devotions with our Lord. And, and sometimes, you know, that affections are fleeting or sometimes weak, but it's there. You know, justice is in this world, although maybe not to the extent that we want it. There is justice. We see it in play. We see our, our we have the opportunity to know Him, what we experience here week in and week out, worshiping our God is a foretaste of what we get to do for all eternity. The, the affection that we have for one another as, as believers is a profound gift for the here and now because we share in that spirit and we will be with one another forever and ever. No, God is at work and so we can rejoice in that. But we can also rejoice in the fact that we, we know what we know. That this is not as good as it gets. And I think this is what, what uh, Paul is getting at in, in Romans chapter 8. When he says this, I, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation has been or waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole, children has, or the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly 
as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And doesn't that describe us, friends? Don't you feel that groaning within you? You can rejoice because that groaning is like a pulse. It's showing you that you have the Spirit of God in you, which is declaring to you that this is not it. It's giving you that longing to be with your Lord forever and ever. To be united with Him and His perfection perfectly. So we rejoice in these things. And I think that's... And, and, and nothing on earth, not, not even making America great again, nothing on earth will ever satisfy that groaning save being together with our Lord forever and ever. So the first thing was be joyful. The second is to do good. We are saved by God's grace through faith to do good works which God has prepared advance for us that we should walk in them. We are to do what He has called us to do. We, we are to bear witness of this joy that is within us. This hope of the resurrection that we have. We are to do Christ's work here on earth as His body. Executing His mission here on earth. We are to adorn the Gospel of grace. Even while we fix our eyes on Christ and await that upward call in Jesus Christ. And, and that's, I think, what Christ did Uh, In his life, as it says in Hebrews, it says we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ scorned the cross, the worst of circumstances, the worst of chaos, the worst of hatred and wrath for us. Because he had his eyes fixed on the joy that was set before him. And friends, we have that joy set before us. And I think that's what Paul, what may have been in Paul's mind when he wrote this to uh, the, the church in Philippi. He says, um, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that would be far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Beloved, that needs to be our heart. As we have our eyes fixed on that heavenly country, we remain here for the sake of one another. For the sake of this world that does not know this Gospel. We lay down our lives. We sacrifice that perfection now for the sake of love for one another because that love has been shown to us. We don't throw in the towel because things stink. We pursue love for one another. We may not get the results that we want, but we will glorify God in the process and we will enjoy Him forever. And the third thing, 
after being joyful and do good, is to take pleasure in all that we do. We're not to live as frustrated people. God has poured this joy into our hearts. We are to eat. We are to drink. We are to take pleasure in our work because God has given us this work and we should feel His pleasure as we do His work here on on earth. And these three things, being joyful, doing good, and taking pleasure in all that we do, friends, that's what we're going to do for all eternity. So don't you see why the preacher says this is man's gift? Because God has given us a glimpse of eternity even now. He prepares us for eternity by giving us a glimpse of how we will live in eternity. And so we must do these things, pouring ourselves out in the here and now. Now I have to say, um, friends, that this promise that I've been speaking of, this hope of eternity, is only for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, who have put their hope and their trust for him, in Him. And if that does not describe you, if you have not yet submitted to the King of all eternity as your Savior, then I can declare to you on the authority of God's Word, you do not have this hope of eternity. This world, with its fleeting pleasures and its frustrations, is the best that you will ever experience. And if you're okay with that, if you choose that over submitting to the God who loves you and is now revealing Himself to you, then I can say to you with no sarcasm in my heart, please enjoy what you have. Enjoy this world. God has given you good gifts, glimpses of eternity with Him, and you can enjoy it now because you won't ever again. But if you feel that ache, if you feel like there is something more and you feel the stirring of God's heart, God's Spirit within your heart, then I beg you, cry out to Him. Fall on your knees to this God. He is gracious and merciful and Christ's sacrifice and resurrection is sufficient for you. And He extends His love to you. And all heaven and all creation will rejoice to welcome you into this eternal kingdom forever and forever. Well, friends, Tolkien's story didn't end when the driver showed up at his door. After a short ride and then a ride on the train, uh, Niggle was dropped off at a place that he, he was unfamiliar. And it was this country landscape, uh, beautiful warm breeze, uh, and, and it was just a beautiful day. He saw a bicycle and it, he decided to, to ride the bicycle down, down this short hill. And as he did, as is his custom, focusing on every detail, he sees the beauty of the detail of each one of the blades of grass as he goes over the turf. And, and, and the hill flattens out and it becomes a kind of a flat landscape. And all of a sudden there's this green uh, shadow that comes in his way. And he looks up at the shadow and he falls off his bike. And there before him is the tree, the tree that was in his mind. Only here it is, and it's, it's finished, and it's beautiful, and it's perfect, and it's far, it's alive. It's, it's better than he could ever imagine. He looks at his leaf and all, all sorts of other leaves he never knew before, all of them perfect and beautiful, branches he never saw, birds dwelling on, on the branches, the, the breeze blowing the, the branches. And as he looks up, he can do nothing else but 
throw his arms out and exclaim, it's a gift, realizing that his art before his journey and now the ability to see the fruition is that gift. And friends, we have a similar gift. The Lord has set eternity in our hearts. He has set eternity in our hearts. We ache for that eternity, but our hope is in our, our risen Savior, our Jesus who has gone before us, and our hope will never disappoint us. Our faith will become sight. And that joy is set before us. That joy of being forever and forever and forever and forever with your Savior will be a reality forever and forever. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until that day, help us to walk faithfully before you. Amen. Please let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, you you love us far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. We thank you for these promises. May we cling to them. May we live by them. May we glorify you in our lives because of them. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen.